Escape Pod 91 February 1st, 2007 Today's story, Yasin Test, by K. Kenyon Hello and welcome to Escape Pod. I'm Steve Ely. I talked a few weeks ago about my own writing and about embarking on the zeroth draft of my next novel. I said I'd go into more detail about what that meant, and a couple of people have asked to know more. So here you go. And the standard writing advice disclaimer applies. What works for me may not necessarily work for you. When I started seriously writing fiction several years ago, one of my big hang-ups was prose quality. It's not that I didn't have it. I think I did, and still do. But I was too aware of it, and I'd spent countless iterations polishing the beginning of a story before I felt I could go on. The inevitable result was getting nowhere fast, and starting a lot of things I just couldn't finish. I'd tell myself it's just the first draft, but then I'd keep fiddling with it anyway. Does this sound familiar to any of you? The way I finally broke out of it, with my fantasy novel The Day of Clouds, was by writing a novel draft I knew I couldn't use. I set a goal for sitting down at the keyboard every day, a chapter a day. It didn't matter how long or short it was. Some days I was in the mood and I'd write a couple thousand words with dialogue and action. Some days I just wrote a paragraph or two. These characters go here, they learn this thing, then a fight happens. I'd flesh that out in the next draft. The point here was just to get the plot out. I left all kinds of notes to myself in brackets, and if something earlier in the book had to change, I wouldn't change it, I'd just make a note. Oh, and to make sure none of it was ever usable, I did the whole thing in present tense. I knew the novel wasn't going to be in present tense, so that meant I'd have to rewrite every sentence of it. That was enough to jolt my brain completely out of polishing mode. When I was done, I printed it out, it came to about 200 pages double-spaced, put it in a binder, and just used it as a reference while I started writing the real first draft. That book got finished, and it's been on a desk at a New York publisher for... Okay, way too long now. I think it's time to query again, but that's a different intro. Anyway, that's my method. If you're stuck with the same problems I was stuck with, then maybe it'll work for you. Our story this week is about a woman who stuck herself with a very different problem. We present The Acid Test by Kay Kenyon. Miss Kenyon lives in Washington State and has six novels out. Her book Maximum Ice was a finalist for the Philip K. Dick Award for Best Original Paperback in 2003, and Braided World was a 2004 finalist for the John W. Campbell Award for Best Novel. She has a new SF and fantasy crossover series, The Entire and the Rose, starting in April with the first book, Bright of the Sky. I've seen a bit about it, and it really looks cool. This particular story appeared in Tailbones in winter 2004, the story is read for us by Cunning Minx of the Polyamory Weekly Podcast. This is a very in-depth and well-produced podcast about responsible non-monogamy and working sex, love, and relationship models outside traditional boundaries. I'm a listener, and this is really good stuff. You can check them out at polyweekly.libsyn.com. So pick up your daily tabloid and flip to the sports section. It's story time. The Acid Test by Kay Kenyon. It took her six years of searching, following every lead, pursuing shadows, hunches, and lukewarm trails, until she found an alien that could help her. When she found him, not that it was necessarily a him, he was just leaving an office in a drab building with carpeting worn in the middle like a deer path. 
He paused, key still in the door, looking down at her. No, don't go, she said, daring to touch his arm. He narrowed his eyes, but she held her ground. I know what you are. An ear flicked back. He wasn't used to the direct approach. She could tell them from humans. Through years of practice, she'd taught herself to look past the surface, past the facade of nose, eyes, and face. If you trusted your intuition, you could pick them out. After millions of years of evolution, face recognition was a finely tuned human skill. This fellow had a beard and glasses. Behind that, the face wasn't quite right. Primed as she was for more subtle challenges, the pitiful disguise was almost disappointing. Well, in the end, you seldom got what you expected when it came to aliens. I found someone for you, she said. He made no move to open up his office again, but he still had the key in his hand. I'm not looking for anyone, he said. His yellow-brown eyes flicked over her, perhaps sizing her up as a candidate. The yellow eyes were bad. She'd read how they couldn't see the color yellow and didn't realize their eyes and skin looked jaundiced. It's my husband. He'll go. He wants to go. The alien looked down the hall as though he'd rather be home nursing a beer than dealing with the disgruntled housewife at 4 o'clock p.m. on a Friday afternoon. Please. She tried not to sound desperate. He's young and healthy, college degree, business administration. She thought that last might not help. With a math minor. After a weary sigh, the fellow unlocked the office door and gave it a little kick. It swung open to reveal a dark interior. Giving a very convincing jerk of his head, he directed her inside. They were going to do business. He had decided to trust her, trust that she wasn't the FBI, the IRS, or yet another mother come to beg for a family member. Once they were sitting opposite each other, the alien came right to the point. If he wants to go, as you put it, why didn't he come himself? He doesn't believe you exist. At his expression, she hurried to add, He wishes you did, though. His eyes glinted behind the thick lenses of his glasses, like carp swimming in a clear pond. Doesn't believe? Doesn't he read the National Enquirer? Through a tense throat, she let out a chirping laugh. Was he making a joke? Or did the alien consider the Enquirer good publicity? He's just skeptical. You have to admit you've been mysterious. She looked around her, at the chipped desk, the sagging blinds. This could be a seen-better-days insurance office instead of the local pod of alien infiltration. He shrugged, except the shoulder went down. She went on. His name's David. He's a wonderful person. She struggled to summarize her beloved David, kind, wise, compassionate, loving in his way. But first she had to get one thing clear. I've heard you don't take unwilling people. The eyes blinked behind the glasses. She realized he didn't blink very much. Another flaw was fascinating how they managed to pass for human among the unwary public. Do you? She persisted. Do I what? Take unwilling people. The sneer was good, right on the mark. I suppose you think we insert alien tubes into body orifices for sport? No, of course not. But if we did? He was toying with her. Maybe he was trying to fluster her, the stress interview. 
I'm sure David would cooperate. He's not squeamish. All for science. He thinks this is about science? No, David didn't. His interest was more basic, more visceral. It was the prospect of adventure, the stars, improbable worlds, civilizations stranger than we could imagine. She didn't deny the allure, but she couldn't share the urge, the urge to go. It had begun with a simple conversation, an idle question, one she wished she'd never raised. Some questions should never be asked. Why had she? But she knew why. For the same reason lovers everywhere ask for proof, proof of love. Will you ever leave me? Do you think I'm beautiful? Would you go if you got the chance to an alien world? Sure, David had said, in a second. In that moment, so brief, so heavy, it was still an innocent thought experiment. But what if I couldn't go along? Yes, even then. She was so surprised she hardly looked at the minefield into which she was running at full speed. You'd go forever? Never see me again? You wouldn't. But he would. It was the only thing, he said, that he could imagine leaving her for. The greatest journey, the highest intellectual stimulation, the grandest opportunity imaginable. Yes, he admitted, there would be a terrible price. Loss, loneliness, perhaps alienation, a suitable word if ever there was one. But he never wavered. Never a maybe, I think, perhaps. He was certain. And with that certainty, her own security, her faith in him, vanished forever. She would never trust his love again. She asked him again later. Same answer. It gnawed at her. She couldn't match him betrayal for betrayal. There was nothing that could induce her to leave him. That was real love, wasn't it? His love was provisional until an alien came along. She tried not to think about it. In any case... He didn't believe that aliens visited Earth. There was no proof, only the irrational beliefs of a lunatic fringe. It was entirely theoretical, like love. Her quest had been to make the thought experiment real, to put her fears and his claim to the test, the acid test. She knew it sounded extreme. She'd never wanted to be demanding, needy, paranoid. But gradually the knowledge that he would go took root penetrating her thoughts, the very web of her life, based as it was on her marriage and the love she shared with David, a powerful, sensual, and dramatic love. That love now held a canker. She hoped the alien would excise it one way or the other. If David said no, if in the event he refused to go, the rift between them would heal, her heart would be at peace again. The alien was shuffling through a drawer. There are some forms to fill out. He brought out a daunting sheaf of papers. Unless you'd rather he did it himself. She shook her head. David hated paperwork. Date of birth? She supplied all the information. Prior medical conditions, family background, job history, education. And the personal, favorite foods, sleeping habits, sexual preferences, pet peeves. She knew his affection for good cheese walnut salad, pistachio ice cream, how he held her left breast as they fell asleep in each other's arms, what he would fight for, what he would leave for. She and the bearded alien parted at the door. Remember, he said, he must choose to go. 
his yellow eyes darkened to amber. His choice. That's what I'm counting on, she said. But now that the forms were filed, she wasn't so sure. The next few days stumbled by in numb unreality. David quit his job and packed a small bag. He spent a lot of time in the backyard staring at the bird feeder or tossing sunflower seeds to blue jays. The two of them didn't talk much. What was there to say? I'll miss you desperately, David said one night, whispering into her neck. But she was unmoved. He was leaving, wasn't he? Are you sure this is the right place? David squinted into the shadowed woods. Keep walking. That's what the alien had said. Midnight, the turnoff at Swamp Creek Road, then keep walking. David held her hand, giving her courage support. Everything but the thing she wanted most, David himself. They plunged on by the light of a half moon. Descending into a ravine, they entered a blacker woods. She released David's hand to brace against the hillside, sliding down. At the bottom, she whispered his name. He didn't answer. She called out, her voice a frantic croak. Turning, she squinted into the now hostile woods. But he was gone. They had taken him. No fuss, the alien had warned her. No scenes. They'd made sure of that with this little maneuver. It didn't speak well for them. With her body starting to shake, she sat down, collecting herself. This was no longer theoretical. The spacecraft was close by, ready to take David away forever. She had caused it to happen. Why? Why? The craving for some absurd proof of fidelity? It was so foolish, built as it was upon her own insecurity and greediness. She loved this man, and she had driven him from her. She contemplated her descent into torment and obsession, step by step, an incremental disaster. At length she stood up, determined to find David. By now her eyes were accustomed to the dark, and she could make out a shrub or two. At the top of the ravine she thought she saw a thin trickle of light. She scrambled toward it. A shape bulked up in front of her. Startled, she lost her footing, falling back. Someone grabbed her arm, stopping her fall. It was David. He knelt next to her, wrapping his arms around her. My God, he whispered. My God, it was awful. She clung to him. David, David. The inside of the ship, he went on. So small, terrible tunnels, no windows. The beings are not what I thought. And all oh, the smell, like, like Roquefort cheese, but wrong. I told them you like Roquefort. But she didn't mean to say that. Only, David, David, you came back. You said no. I was terrified, he said. She didn't care why he'd said no. She wasn't going to test him again. She started to say so, but he put his hand over her mouth. Shh. They said I have to go. I escaped, but they're looking for me. No, she whispered. You get to choose. They say I already chose, and I did at first. I said yes, I'd go on board. And then all at once it came to me that I was afraid, more afraid than I believed possible. I can't go with them. I'd go mad. He pulled her closer. Forgive me. Wait here, she said. He protested, but she was more clear-headed than he was at the moment. She pulled his arms away. 
I know them better than you do. I'll talk to them. Before he could dissuade her, she charged up the hill, looking for a man with a beard and glasses. Cresting the hill, she walked along the ridge. At length, she sensed a presence nearby. She'd searched for them for so long she could find them even in the dark. We need to talk, she said. After a moment, a familiar voice said, So talk. You said he must be willing. Well, he's not. They all change their minds at some point or another. Often they change back and forth many times. Do you think we can just turn around after light years of travel on a human whim? But you haven't left yet. There's room for a change of mind. We measure these things differently. We've created a human physio unit. It took extensive resources. I'm afraid we can't change the rules just for you. She didn't bother to hide her bitterness. You tricked me. He shrugged. He still had it wrong. You tricked your husband. It wasn't a trick. It was a test. Where I come from, they're the same thing. She took a deep breath, deeper than any she'd ever breathed. The woods were lightning to her supercharged sight. There was the bearded alien, the looming pine trees, the air itself alive with her thoughts. The decision, when it came, was easy. Touching the alien's arm, she said, The probes, do they hurt? He must have taken pity on her then, because his voice softened, and he folded his fingers around hers in a very convincing approximation of a helping hand. No, I promise. Then take me, she said, in his place. A long pause. The forms can be filled out later. We'll have a long time. Again he paused. Then he guided her to the place where the spacecraft waited. It was invisible, except that its shape distorted the woods in a giant wobbly sphere. A door in the center was open, and a reddish light gushed out. The light's wrong, she told him. I know, we're working on it. Inside, the tunnels were small, but not so very unsettling. There were lobes where she could stand tall. There was pistachio ice cream melted in jars. It was wrong, of course, but the gesture calmed her. I'm ready, she told the alien. You choose? She watched as the hatch began closing. The words stuck in her throat, but she nodded. The bearded man seemed to know the gesture. Beneath their feet, the deck rumbled. Buckle in, he said. And that was our story. I think it's fair to say that the story can be taken as a series of bad decisions, but surely melted pistachio ice cream has got to be just penance for all of them. It's the 1st of February, and that means our 300-word flash competition is finally closed to new submissions. But the fun's really just starting. The response to this contest exceeded my expectations about tenfold. We got a staggering number of entries, 321 of them, and we're going to keep posting them for judging, well, throughout most of February. The forum community's been very active in voting on these stories and discussing them, and the depth of commentary has impressed me deeply. You need to register to see the stories and vote on them, and you can do that at forum.escapeartists.info. Remember, the top three stories will get cash and be heard here on Escape Pod, but I already know I'm going to be giving contracts to a few more beyond that. 
There's a lot more going on in the forum, too. Some really fun conversation on Escape Pod and Pseudopod and all sorts of other topics. So check it out. Again, that's forum.escapeartists.info. But if you can't remember that, forum.escapepod.org redirects to it just fine. Speaking of cool Flash experiments, here's a brand new podcast from Jared Axelrod, a.k.a. the voice of Free Planet X. You have activated your precognitive meeting planner. With my extensive knowledge of alien cultures, I will guide you on your diplomatic quest through the galaxy, heading off before they happen any problems you might encounter with the aliens you will meet. This is a sort of hitchhiker's guide in audio form. It's a very cool idea, and best of all, each episode's about two minutes long. Check it out at aliensyouwillmeet.libsyn.com. I touched on the feedback to our story from a few weeks ago, Blood of Virgins, in the intro to last week's story, so I'm not going to go in-depth on it. It's been a very mixed response, with most of the early comments very positive, and more and more of the later respondents saying the story left them cold. Besides the political and ecological tie-ins, some people also felt that the story wasn't sufficiently speculative, that the dragons and virgins' blood were just a straight substitution for cars and gasoline. The most recent comment in the blog posts came from Chronocars, who said, The overall feel was of a regular contemporary story and not a fantasy. When did sci-fi and fantasy start being about people and not ideas? Thanks for the feedback. My own opinion is that SF and fantasy are at their best when they're about people and ideas. If the two are mutually exclusive, then I think the whole human race is in a bit of a bind. Then again, I imagine there are cynics who'd say that's exactly the case. Escape Pod is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Our audio files freely consent to being taken aboard the alien spacecraft. All other rights are reserved by our authors, but I imagine many of them would agree to go, too. If you'd rather be taken by terrifying forces beyond our understanding, check out our horror podcast, Pseudopod, at pseudopod.org. And it's a long trip, so be sure to take plenty of MP3 CDs from poddisc.com. Our music is by permission of Dai Kaiju. I'm not sure galactic civilization is ready for their music yet, but if you are, check out daikaiju.org. That was our show for this week. Our closing quotation is anonymous. I couldn't find a source. But it goes, Marriage is when a man and a woman become as one. The trouble starts when they try to decide which one. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. And have fun. Have fun.